1: there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm also your host, Ryan Key. Hey, uh. <laughs> and I'm Nick. I'm a host. We're going to talk about the Clone Wars. Let's do it now. One, two, three, go.
2: Colognes. Clones. Here we go. Put on some cologne. Nick, have you been waiting for this? <laughs> have you been waiting for us to start this journey? I mean... I think it's relevant, you know, like for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know, I, it's fun to it's fun to have guests. Absolutely, I like hearing uh, everyone's love for Star Wars, but I really like getting nerdy with Star Wars content. I guess.
0: <laughs> well, let's go. Let's uh, let's have a little like dip your toes in the water of the Clone Wars episode
2: tonight. Yeah, they were clones. Come on in. The warder is cloney. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a bunch of cloney! This. <laughs> Episode is arbitrarily significant, and I'm gonna act like that's real significance. Number 50 for Thank the Maker, episode 50. We're talking about the Clone Wars 2008 animated feature film that precedes the Clone Wars animated series, not to be confused with the Clone Wars mini series, if you call it that. Those mini so yeah, the Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network, uh, I forgot the name the of the guy who did Samurai Jack, that thing, yeah, yeah. which is well-loved but is no Mm -hmm. longer canon so we're talking about the 3d animation style 2008 clone wars animated feature film that actually was released in theaters in 2008 it's the first of many things it was the first done by dave filoni it's what brought dave filoni into the star wars universe Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of that stuff later and you know what let's just get straight into it not an opening crawl a different style something we would come to love about the Clone Wars and expect at the top of every episode an opening narration, almost in like a World War II news bulletin film kind of vibe. A galaxy divided, striking swiftly after the Battle of Geonosis. But I can't read the whole thing like that, but that's
0: what it sounds like. <laughs> and it's really cool because it carried on for all seven seasons is like the crawl for the
1: show. So cool. Let me give you some music and then Ryan Key hit us with it.
0: A galaxy divided, striking swiftly after the Battle of Geonosis, Count Dooku's droid army has seized control of the major hyperspace lanes, separating the Republic from the majority of its clone army. With few clones available, the Jedi generals cannot gain a foothold on the Outer Rim as more and more planets choose to join Dooku's separatists. While the Jedi are occupied fighting a war, no one is left to keep the peace. Chaos and crime spread, and the innocent become victims in a lawless galaxy. Crime Lord Jabba the Hutt's son has been kidnapped by a rival band of pirates. Desperate to save his son, Jabba puts out a call for help. A call the Jedi are cautious to answer. A call the Jedi are cautious to answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Getting political, yeah. the Jedi. It's weird. We really get into the politics of the Jedi and the trade dispute stuff and all this in Clone Wars. We talk so much about it, but it, it feels different than it did in you know the first two prequels. Yeah. It's, it's like so central, but it's okay. 100%. Yep. It's interesting. It's just laid out better. Execution, as we talk Execution.
0: about all
2: the time. <laughs> I saw someone, uh, this is definitely not my uh, hot take. I never thought this, but somebody said that this almost comes across as republic propaganda. Oh, yeah. You know, like this is told via the eyes of the republic. Because it's not, it's always in a, here's what the Republic is doing. So it's almost like it's a news bulletin from the
1: Republic. Yeah. Which is oh, it's a pretty war cool film. Straight up. It's war yeah. propaganda film. Yeah. yeah. Flag waving, rah rah, Patriot stuff. Mm-hmm. Storm the Capitol stuff. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, let's not even start. Too soon. Let's get straight into it. We're about the no time wasted vibe on this one. So here we go with Stolen Plans. What have you done with those plans? <laughs> I'm going to give you the Disney Plus description. In these stolen plans, as the Clone Wars sweep through the galaxy, Anakin Skywalker and his new Padawan learner, Ahsoka Tano, plunge into a dangerous mission to rescue the kidnapped son of crime lord, Jabba the Hutt. This film was released in theaters August 10th, 2008. Like I said before, directed by Dave Filoni, written by Henry Gilroy, Steve Melching, rough last name, Scott Murphy, and George <laughs> Lucas himself. Interesting that Filoni wasn't credited as a writer on it. Mm. Yeah, he. I mean, he was in story development. I think I would guess all of that comes down to uh writer's guild standards. You know, you have to contribute X percentage to mm-hmm. be credited as a writer, but definitely in the story conversation for sure. Creating characters, the whole nine yards, the cast, we have some familiar actors reprising their live action roles. Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu, Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. And of course, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO because Anthony Daniels, He won't let anyone else do C-3PO in anything. Someone said Star Wars, and here he comes. It pops out of the bushes. New voices for familiar characters. Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker. James Arnold Taylor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Can I just
0: say that James Arnold Taylor's performance, because Newsflash, I had never seen this film until today to get ready for the episode. (laughs) First time I've ever watched the movie.
1: Newsflash.
0: Can I... Bill Key has never seen the movie. Um, (laughs) James Arnold Taylor's performance and his inflection and tone of his voice was so good that I had to look it up to
1: see if it was Ewan McGregor. Yeah, it's so good. I thought it was him. He's incredible, dude. So, go ahead. Catherine Tabor, apologies if I butchered that, as Padme Amidala. Yeah, dude, it's Taber. Taber. Tabay. Ian Abercrombie, rough last name as well, (laughs) as Palpatine. D. Bradley Baker as all of the clones. This dude did some work. Yeah.
2: All of the clones. He spent a lot of hours in the
1: booth, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of the clones in perpetuity, D. Bradley Baker. And Tom Kane as Yoda and the narrator. Notably, the first time Yoda was not voiced by Frank Oz. It's noticeable, but not bad. Yoda never bothered me in, in animation. No, I think it's great. And then some new voices for the newer animated characters. Nika Futterman as Asajj Ventress. And friend of the pod, last but not least, Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano. Score by Kevin Kiner, using a lot of John Williams music, but also a lot of original stuff. Runtime of an hour and 39 minutes. Budget, <laughs> needless to say, the lowest of all Star Wars anything, <laughs> $8.5 million, but it did gross $68.3 million total in the U.S. That's a pretty good return on your investment. Pretty sick. <laughs> But despite that great return, I mean, you wouldn't expect, based on that return, to hear the following. 5.9 on IMDb, brutal 18% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 39% audience score. That metric doesn't lie when it's both. Yeah. You know? (laughs) 35 on Metacritic, and it should now be no surprise that this is the first Star Wars movie not to open at number one in the box office. But, you know... I remember, I mean, I was at peak Star Wars fandom at that point, and I didn't even know this was in theaters. I think yeah. I maybe heard, like, oh, there's an anime? Really? Mm-hmm. But I didn't go see it. Yeah, this It was wasn't a, on my calendar. This was for sure a dark time for me. I would
2: say, like, post Revenge of the Sith through, like, I think I started to get back in when Disney bought things when when disney actually bought lucasfilm so i I had a rough little go there where the dark ages i definitely didn't watch the clone wars until it was a couple of seasons into the actual television show just shows the resilience of like star wars in general but specifically this property here is like this didn't go well at the top but because it was like a Lucasfilm was still like its own studio, they were like, you know what, that didn't go well, but we're we're gonna move forward anyway. That wouldn't happen these days. Look at Solo, you know, right. look like that didn't go well, so they're just like, no, that's dead in the water for now. Hopefully, but Lucas owning all of this, he would just was like, no, let's just move forward, and it became what it became. No,
1: this is mine. We're continuing. Yeah. We'll get into a little bit of the the fan. Backlash, disappointment, and so on, in from a certain point of view. But until then, let's get into the synopsis. We're going to make this quicker than we've ever done a synopsis because since many of you may not have seen this, we feel like it is necessary to kind of run down the plot. So here we go. The film opens with Anakin and Obi Wan in the middle of a battle against the Separatists on the planet Christophsis, which has an interesting origin, that name, I think. I can't remember it. Chris (laughs) Christofferson? That's all I think about. (laughs) They're awaiting reinforcements. Shuttle shows up carrying Ahsoka Tano. She says she's been assigned by Yoda as Anakin's Padawan. Anakin is not stoked, but the two work together. They get right in the battle. The Republic wins, and Ahsoka earns Anakin's respect pretty quickly. I love their vibe. Just banter right off the bat. And
0: admiration. Yeah. Almost. like Kindred spirits, re- like rebels within the system, kind of. Yeah,
2: and she's an early teen, and she's giving... I mean, I guess Anakin can't be that much older than her, but he comes off more as the, you know, he's a Jedi Knight at that point and the master and she doesn't back down from him. She, she definitely, he's like, all right, okay, cool. It it helps him gain respect. I think the fact that she's not just like a little kid, you know, as far as her, her attitude goes.
1: Immediate big brother, little sister vibes. Yeah. Yoda shows up after the battle, tells the Jedi that Jabba the Hutt's son has been kidnapped. Anakin and Ahsoka are tasked with retrieving the Hutlet. (laughs) I love that term. Well, baby hut, the hutlet. While Obi-Wan is sent to Tatooine to negotiate with Jabba over a potential treaty between the huts and the Republic, which is shady and weird. They are negotiating with terrorists. Mm -hmm. It's not a good look for the Jedi or the Republic, which really helps set up this, this whole downfall of the Jedi thing. Anakin and Ahsoka track the kidnapper and the hutlet to the planet Teth. Speaking of planets, Christophsis is a huge kyber crystal export planet. Oh, nice. Thanks, Drew. Planet Teth, where they're ambushed by Separatist forces led by Asajj Ventress. This is not the first time we see Asajj, but it's the first, I guess, canon time since the other Cartoon Network thing in 2003 was rendered Legends, right? Mm -hmm. So officially now in canon, this is the first time we meet Asajj Ventress, who is Count Dooku's apprentice. They discover, they being Anakin and Ahsoka, that Dooku is trying to frame the Jedi for Jabba's kid's kidnapping to get Jabba to ally with the Separatists. The two Jedi escape. Jedi escape the trap along with R2, who's, of course, along for the ride, and go to Tatooine.
0: And still, apparently, still has fuel for his jets that he <laughs> loses soon after this and
1: can never be used again. There are apparently astromech jet fuel stations everywhere on every corner in this universe until, until <laughs> 10 BBY. Anakin... Alerts Obi-Wan that Ventress is on Teth. Obi-Wan goes there, engages her in a lightsaber duel. He wins, but she escapes. Meanwhile, Anakin's secret wife, Padme, learns that Anakin is on this mission. She's afraid for his safety, so she decides to hit up Jabba's strangely Cajun-sounding Uncle Zero, (laughs) Zero the Hut on Coruscant, who has, like, a a swanky club called Zero's Palace. There's, like, people making out
0: in it yeah. there's twi'lex like stripping in the back kind of
2: before you get into there the i don't know if it's the same band but they look like you yeah know, the, the cantina most the cantina and they're playing some smooth, smooth jazz smooth, <laughs> smooth, yes. not star wars jazz just no. like straight up jazz louisiana america <laughs> jazz it blends well
0: with like the I don't even know how to describe it, but like the MIDI keyboard action butt rock that's (laughs) happening in the the battle before this. Like, it's like, like, you know, smooth jazz and butt
1: rock. Clone Wars. (laughs) Go. So this is strangely Cajun. Zero the Hutt refuses to cooperate, claims that the Jedi are responsible for the situation, but Padme soon discovers that Zero is full of shit and has actually conspired with Dooku to have the Hutlet, little baby Jabba, killed so that Jabba would then execute Anakin and Ahsoka in return and be taken into custody by the Jedi Council, all of which would allow Zero to seize power over the Hut clan. So he's trying to hose his nephew, take his power. This guy sucks.
2: There's like three levels of double crossing going on. Yeah. Three levels of planning here, because there's Palpatine, then the Dooku and Separatists, then the Huts. Yeah, it's really the Rick and Morty Heiscon episode.
0: <laughs>
1: Full on. It's a cross of a double cross (laughs) and a triple cross. (laughs) Padme is discovered and detained, but by a chance call from C-3PO allows her to call in a squadron of clone troopers and Zero is arrested. Crisis averted for the moment. Anakin and Ahsoka get back to Tatooine. Anakin fights Dooku, who has showed up there, while Ahsoka takes the hutlet to Jabba's palace. Anakin steals Dooku's speeder after a battle that is essentially a draw and meets Ahsoka there to deliver Jabba's baby safe and sound. But Jabba, who, who now thinks that the whole thing was actually a plot by the Jedi to kidnap orders the Jedi to be executed regardless. But Padme contacts Jabba in time, little hollow from R2 style reveals that zero is actually at the bottom of all of this reveals the whole separatist plot. Jabba says, you're screwed. You're out of here. You're going to hut jail or <laughs> whatever. Jabba agrees to the treaty with the Jedi. All is good. Happy ending. Happy ending. But it ends with a little Dooku reporting to Sidious via Hollow. Sidious assures him that the tide of the war is still in their favor. Because as we know, Sidious was playing both sides. This was just one of the many ploys in his game of chess.
2: Some might say he's the greatest uh, Sith Lord of all time. That's what I've
0: heard. Some might say that.
2: (laughs) Some might say.
0: I've heard (laughs) it said.
2: (laughs) I've seen it written on a t-shirt. Hey. So it's, it's it's interesting here, the stakes, you know, like the Jedi, again, coming down to, like you mentioned it, like negotiating with terrorists. They're coming down from their high, their council, basically, to be like, we have to negotiate with this terrorist because Jabba owns the hyperspace lanes out there. So we need those hyperspace lanes to transport our clone troops so we could continue this war and win this war. so Mace doesn't like it. Oh, no, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just like grin and bear it, you know? It's like, we have mm-hmm. to do this. It's like taking two steps back before you can move forward. It's like, well, we gotta get these hyper, hyperspace lanes so we could transport our troops so we could defeat the Separatists. It's a, it's a tough position to be in, but it's all part of the fall of the Jedi. And that's what the Clone
1: Wars really adds depth to, the fall of the Jedi in the prequel period. I take two steps forward, you take two steps back. We come together, because I... Us, it's a track. Ah, yes.
2: Think the maker, Paula Abdul <laughs> Podcast.
1: <laughs> Season two. All right. All right. Let's talk some stuff before we get into a certain point of view and some things. One thing I thought was interesting is that this film was originally planned to just be kind of like a feature-length pilot episode of The Clone Wars. And apparently Lucas, upon seeing kind of proof of concept of the animation was like, oh, this is great. Let's just make it a movie. Let's just put it out. And like we said before, at this point, it was George's way or the highway. They did it. They put it in theaters. And this, instead of being the beginning of the story between episodes two and three, made the episode Ambush in the Clone Wars the first broadcast episode. This takes place in 22 BBY, like I said, between episodes two and three, the films. And although this is the first piece of canon Clone Wars animated content in terms of release date, it actually falls chronologically between Season 1's episode, The Hidden Enemy, and Season Three's episode, Clone Cadets. Third in line, episodically or chronologically, in the universe.
2: No, Like, the whole series is mostly linear, and there's a couple of instances where it's
1: not. And, honestly, if you ask me, it's not that noticeable or important. Because those times when it it breaks the linear storytelling, it's in flashbacks, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like the clone cadet stuff. I forgot which clones are the little kids in that, but it's telling a backstory backstory to then get in an arc about the clones. So, Mm -hmm. not weird. This is ultimately an introduction of a bunch of relationships, concepts and terms, nicknames, things that we'll see throughout the Clone Wars animated series. We get the introduction of Captain Rex. We meet Ahsoka Tano. We quickly develop Ahsoka and Rex's relationship, Ahsoka and Anakin's relationship. You get the kind of sibling banter nicknames there, Sky Guy and Snips. We get all that in this very beginning. And you get terms like clanker, slang for battle droid, all that stuff. We hit it at the beginning. Like, hey, this is the world. This is how we talk. Here's what these people are called. Straight into it. I didn't realize that because I, you know, I didn't watch this movie today, but I also... (laughs) <laughs> didn't watch it that long ago. I watched most of the Clone Wars animated series before I actually watched this. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to me to go back and see, oh, this they established all this right off the bat.
2: Yeah, it's, I think in a, a sense it's good to watch this first because I want to say the first episode or two of the series doesn't really deal with Anakin or Obi-Wan that much. Like isn't the first yeah. episode like Plo Koon or something like that? We'll get into it in another episode. But if you want to see Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, it's good to just get a primer of how it's all going to be laid out in the movie because I think it takes a couple of episodes of the series before you kind of get into Anakin and Obi-Wan.
1: Like we mentioned before, Anakin and Ahsoka, they start off with kind of a tumultuous relationship. Anakin is reluctant to even take on a Padawan. He's not really into it. Ahsoka's kind of talking shit to Anakin. He's not about it. But after they complete their first task together, Anakin, he kind of likes her recklessness. Yeah. And agrees to take her on as a Padawan. Because there was a moment there where it was kind of like, well, if you don't want to do it, you know, he, he almost kind of had an out, right? Yeah. But he decides to take her on and it's a big part of his character development.
2: Yeah, because I think uh, also there's just that that moment where Obi-Wan, like Anakin is now a, a Jedi Knight, but he didn't request a Padawan and Obi-Wan has requested a new Padawan. So she shows up and she knows she's going to be Adwan, uh, Anakin's Padawan, but Obi-Wan is expecting a new Padawan. So he yeah. thinks that Ahsoka is his new Padawan. It's a whole the a whole little thing there, rigmarole. Is that a word? <laughs> the whole rigmarole? <laughs> I'd use that. <laughs>
0: I think he just sees himself in her so quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he's both kind of stoked, like, to have a kindred spirit at his side, but is also very concerned for her well-being because he knows the danger that he puts himself into all the time by breaking the rules and not Mm -hmm. following orders. Yeah. And I think he knows right away, like, oh, she's exactly the same way. And she's not going to do anything I tell her to do, so I'm really going to have to watch out for her. And we know, despite his fate, you know, pre- helmet coming off that Anakin has a lot of love in his heart for the people he cares about I mean he goes on murderous rampages to avenge them you know like he's got a lot of passion there and I think it's a imme- immediately he recognizes that that passion is awakened in him by seeing
1: someone that's just so similar to him the passion awakens <laughs> it's a prequel to the Mel Gibson directed <laughs> uh, Jesus film <laughs> which I saw in theaters by the way that,
0: that film is brutal
1: yes I've never seen it
0: Oh, it's brutal, dude.
1: Chunky meat of a Jesus back flying at the camera. It's not, yeah. It's Hell it's of a meme, not.
2: though. I know that meme where Mel Gibson's, like, talking to bloody-ass Jesus. You know what I'm talking about?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it's so good.
1: All right, let's get into a certain point of view, because it's, <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. A certain point
0: of view? Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. So... As you pointed out, um, the numbers don't lie or do they? <laughs> I guess is the question. This film is not loved by fans or critics, to put it lightly. It was as a bomb. Yeah,
2: those critically. numbers are current. Like people have not come around on it. You know, yeah, like no. the series, love it. Everyone, two thumbs up, great. Movie, not so much.
1: I mean That's really telling. Yeah. Because well, it could be telling in different ways depending on how you interpret it. To me. It's so much about expectations. Oh, always. If you stop calling this a film and just make it part of the series, totally different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know uh, what it I mean fits, it fits in as a couple of episodes, a couple of those little arcs. Like yeah. you could have done the first half and the second, or, you know, broken it into four episodes and had it be a little arc to tell this whole story. And you're right; it probably would have fit into any one of those seasons that's ranked in what the '80s, '90s,
1: yeah, Clone War seasons. It could just be like a marketing miss as well. If he had marketed he being Lucas, had marketed this as we're launching this new series. And maybe it was, and I just missed it, but it, we're putting the first episode of this TV series in theaters, not, mm-hmm. hey, this is a film to be ranked amongst the, the other nine. I think it would have been taken differently.
0: Right. It also could be the nature of, imagine breaking it up. Well, it's an hour and 40 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So that would be three, maybe four episodes, right, of the series. Right. If you break it up, it feels very, very Clone Wars. It it fits in, especially in the early seasons. But it could be sort of the tedious feeling of watching an hour and 40 minutes of it straight. As a a hardcore Star Wars fan, at the time that it came out, it's not like, oh, it's animated, so it's for my kids. It's like, it's Star Wars. I want to watch it, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, I know that just getting through the Clone Wars series myself, sometimes watching four episodes, five episodes, back-to-back in a row was not the easiest thing you know Uh, it's a lot of cartoon some of the arcs were very easy because there it was just non-stop amazing story and and exposition and plot and every every character development all of it just you want to press play on the next one right away but other ones it was kind of like okay i know i have to watch this that was the feeling right Yeah. yeah so totally taking this as four episodes of the show all at once and to be honest not the four best episodes of the show I mean there there are moments in this that that we'll talk about that were super cool Star Wars but overall I think this falls very in line with a lot of the things about the prequels with the political exposition and how kind of like just mm-hmm. jumbled and like not clear about what's happening and who the players are and what you know it's like you walk into this like you're expected to already know all this is happening you know right. in a way and I don't think a lot of people knew what was happening still from the prequels. They left that like, wait, what? Who, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is this war about? Who are they fighting and why? I mean, really, that was a thing, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a little bit of, as I said, just a kind of a tedious thing to watch it straight through like that. But I think you're spot on if it just sat or lived in season one or two. It actually would have been an important arc, I think, to watch. And I think would have been very watchable compared to watching it all at
1: once. I, I really wonder... And this would have been very non-traditional. So even if Lucas considered something like this, I, I don't think there's any way anyone on the team would have said, yeah, that's a good plan. Let's do it. I feel like it would have been beneficial for the prequels had episode three been pushed back a year or two, if they had put this series out and really got the wheels turning on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe even, I mean, I guess time timeline-wise, this takes place right at the end of two, so it doesn't work as much. But I almost feel like, this leading up to two would have helped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If they would have put four years in between each film instead and done a season of clone wars before two season of clone wars after two, it might've all been experienced completely differently by all of us. Yeah. yeah. Cause we all know what it does for, for the stories now the, in, in retrospect.
2: I mean, the clones don't come around though, to like mid film though in attack of the clones, you know? so couldn't yeah, do true. one before yeah but I don't know I mean it is again this is just uh, it's expectations are a bitch it's almost like he doubled down on like oh everyone complained about it being childish but also having a lot of politics in it here's more <laughs> but an animation
1: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> stubborn George Lucas. Yeah. But, I mean, just like anything, just like a lot of TV, it takes a minute to find its groove. And that's what, you mm-hmm. know, the, how many series of other shows, not even Star Wars, just other shows don't find their groove until second season, third season, whatever it mm-hmm. is. So, yeah. like, I just think of what's popping in my head right now is uh, Daniel Levy talking about, uh, you know, the uh, Schitt's Creek won a bunch of Emmys in its final season. And because it was a Canadian show, he said, like, we would have been canceled after one or two seasons. But because right. we were a, a Canadian show on Canadian broadcast television, we were allowed to find our groove and look at what happened, you know? And it's like really... I think, I think they had their groove from oh, minute one. <laughs> totally. <Right. laughs> but
1: for Earth to get it, it yeah. you know, it yeah, took time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to watch this movie, it's a good primer to be like, oh, that's who Captain Rex is. Mm-hmm. They're Ahsoka and Anakin. You see their relationship start to form, so ultimately not much in the like the meat of what the clone, what makes the clone wars awesome is in this episode but i think it's a good primer
0: yeah uh a bit of concern over the childish tone and dialogue yeah. uh, just just from a writing standpoint and we noted that Filoni was not a writer here mm. and i guess maybe this wouldn't have been as big of an issue if maybe he had had a bigger role in the writing but i think it was early in his tenure here so it was like he wasn't quite Lucas wasn't quite handing off those reins to him yet, as yeah. we all know how controlling Lucas was over the prequels and the writing and directing and producing of it all. You know, he was
1: probably very much still in that mindset. I think this is also an expectation thing, mm-hmm. because although the dialogue in the prequels wasn't loved by fans, there still was an expectation that, hey, this is going to be a movie. Movies aren't for kids, even though they, they are. So he makes this cartoon, which is basically for kids. And people are like, what the hell? You know, Mm -hmm. as far as kids shows go and kids movie dialogue goes, this is all just fine. It's great. Mm -hmm. Of course. So I think it just took a long time for people to really get and and be cool with the idea that there are different ways to tell Star Wars stories. And this one happens to be mostly for kids and then grow up later.
2: And it does. The series takes a turn at one point to be a lot less for the youths. Mm -hmm. I mean, in general, like, the the whole, like, Star Wars is for kids and always has been that whole kind of, you know, opinion that people say. I mean, George Lucas even says it. Like, I kind of—I'm not going to disagree with the creator, the maker, (laughs) but if the original trilogy was for kids, it didn't pander to kids. It made kids— Yeah, Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, like, it made kids— Excited for the fantasy, Mm -hmm. then the prequels, and this pandered to kids. That's absolutely uh, way big. That's a big divergence from Star Wars. Is always for kids. Like that's a blanket statement. That's like, yeah. Well, then why did adults like it in the original trilogy? You know, it didn't pander, and now you started to pander in the prequels and and the Clone Wars. So that's
0: where that's where it gets hard for me. Uh, I mean, while we're in this segment of where we're allowed to be critical, (laughs) um, that's where it gets hard for me to not believe that whether it was conscious or not, that's the question. Mm -hmm. But that Lucas's subconscious at the very least wasn't sort of overwhelmed by the success of the original trilogy and the marketing of it and the toys and all that stuff we talked about. Like, did he make this or that in the prequels to be toys? Like, I could sell all these toys. Consciously? Mm -hmm. Probably not. But it's clear on screen that subconsciously that's what was happening. He was succumbing to this pandering, as you Mm -hmm. put it. Like... And now that it's all under my control, there's no studio. This is all mine. I can do whatever I want. This has always been for kids and I can do whatever I want with it now. You know, that kind of blanket feeling. And I I just, I don't know. I think that permeates every second
1: of the prequels Mm -hmm. to me.
0: Not so much in Revenge
1: of the Sith, but in the first two. We all know what it's like as creative people to feel like we have an understanding of what our art means to other people, but not necessarily be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, To have a... A different interpretation in retrospect you know what i mean yeah dude
0: i mean i've made a record that or a couple records at the end that in my opinion were so far beyond anything that we made as a band so evolved so grown so so much more depth all those things and they were certainly the least like understood and enjoyed things that we made by fans you know what i mean for me it was like the most emotionally connected like the most i've poured myself into any project ever in the 17 years i was in the band but didn't land at all like like and i feel like lucas's story on a multi billion dollars more scale is the same thing like he feels like those prequels are his life's work and they just didn't land you know but
1: they did with certain generations but almost definitely in a different way than he understood you know what i mean
2: and to a lesser extent but it worked and a lesser extent of billions is still billions (laughs) it's just less billions so the prequel slash clone wars era those kids are in their 20s now they're mid-20s and that's a whole other era you know so it's it worked just to a lesser extent all right let's get through these last
1: couple
0: too much exposition in the dialogue too much just on the nose this is what's happening
1: (laughs) same thing kids
0: well i would say not even to kids the problem that gets away from the skywalker saga always to me is the politics Mm -hmm. and i think this film and then the subsequent seven series of the show did the best they could to kind of mop up honestly and like make it clear for people what was happening but it's like once those movies had rolled out and you were all in it it was like well now all of this stuff is set up we have to run with this storyline and in this film it's it's very much like the hyperspace lanes the trade dispute the all that stuff has to just be explained even more and i think it feels like too much exposition because we sort of were beat over the head with it in the prequels for however long right then this film is all about explaining more and more what the struggle is between the separatists and the republic but In it all, you've got Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and all these amazing things. So I'm not like shitting all over the whole thing because I love the whole thing and I love the characters, but I've never loved the politics. So I would agree with this point of too much exposition, but I would also say the flip side of that coin and the certain point of view is it's absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. It has to be in there.
1: Well, story exposition, like story content aside— the actual writing, in terms of like the dialogue and the words chosen and how to explain what's going on, that type of exposition is very on par with what you do for kids. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. kids, here's what's happening. Agreed. Because you're too little and dumb to understand it unless we say it this way. So that to me explains exactly why the dialogue is that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Again, not for adults.
0: Well, even uh, definitely amongst adults, there's a common gripe that ahsoka is annoying which i don't get just in general as a character appearing
2: i never got i think it goes back to what you said adam like expectations are always going to be like the first knife in the back of star wars fans their expectations are something that just will never be fulfilled post-original trilogy so you're expecting to sit down and watch uh, an amazing star Wars animation thing and then ahsoka is just this snippy little colorful
1: punk ass teenager yeah yeah
2: and it's like not something you you have some like at the time like 35 year old dude questioning his
1: his masculinity at this point you know (laughs) it's like oh god get over it but dude i think she's perfect and feloni talked about specifically he made her annoying in the beginning so he could then turn it around Mm -hmm. it was absolutely purposeful
2: yeah it's just
1: character arc there so she was this snippy little teenager who was meant to annoy Anakin and in turn annoy the viewer. And then she becomes the most like powerful female figure in Star Wars since Leia and this like poster child, like dictionary encyclopedia entry level of Jedi mm-hmm. example. You know what I mean? But that if if she was just that out of the gates would it would it be as impactful? Would it matter as much? No, probably la- not. The end not.
0: of it would not at all. I mean, the end of season five when she walks away from the order like that, <laughs> dude. Come on. Yeah. And, and that just thinking about the difference in her kind of whiny, very Anakin esque character in the film to that. It's all. I mean that that's awesome. The yeah. character stuff is awesome. I don't agree with the she's annoying in the film. I, I no. I'm watching the film going okay, like if this was the first time I'd seen this in 2008, I would know I'm watching a cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and she does show up feeling like a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. I mean, she does, but it's literally a cartoon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this isn't Toy Story. It's not Pixar and not, not much is that bar is really high, but it's also not I don't know. Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes or or name like a shitty current cartoon. It's not that it's animaniacs is coming back. (laughs) Yeah, It it sits in a weird in-between spot that again, like we keep saying messes with expectations, but now in hindsight, man, it's just, it's all really good. Let's all be happy. Give it
2: room to breathe and develop, you know, calm down. Tell us this last one.
0: Last one here is going to lead us into the den of antiquities. What? in the hell is up with zero the huts voice <laughs> and it turns out what we're going to find out in the den is not the fact that half the time he sounds like eric cartman <laughs> <laughs>
2: A thousand
0: generations. It is the dark oh, gosh.
2: It's a calicory. A Sith wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets secret. only the Sith, knew.
0: He's like how can I see me? It's good. <laughs> good. It's good. He, like, he, I don't remember that one line he says, How can I serve you? And it was like, How can I see me? It sounded like karma. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Anyways, Nick. Yeah. So Jabba's uncle, Zero the Hut. He sounds the way he does because George Lucas asked the producers of the Clone Wars to make his voice sound like Truman Capote, who was a famous American novelist, screenwriter. Did Why? Breakfast at Tiffany's in Cold Blood, born in New Orleans, so he had that New Orleans swagger, Cajun kind of. Yeah, I'm going to reference the Mandalorian uh, gallery right now. The scene we talked about, where Favreau's sitting in the doorway and asked John Leguizamo to do uh what what did he, who did, what does he say he says like be the godfather without being the yeah. godfather something along those lines so favro says john leguizamo be the godfather without being the godfather and that was excellent feedback on i need you to do this but don't rip that off george lucas on the other hand says <laughs> <laughs> Be Truman Capote? <laughs> Sound exactly did like Truman him. Capote? Have a lisp? Yeah. Because Zero has a lisp. <laughs> he did. Okay. Yeah. Well, then they really nailed it. So there's a difference in. Uh, I would say is uh, one of them is a direct rip off, and then the other is just kind of like, just use a, a broad
1: paintbrush on this one. Here, here's the vibe you're going for, but don't rip it off. So if you've heard Truman Capote's actual voice or seen the um, Philip Seymour Hoffman depiction. In the movie Capote, holy crap, is this, it's it. This is exactly it. Mm-hmm. But even more Cajun somehow. It I think,
0: again, though, as a little kid watching this, I'm I'm sure there's some market research into how each character having a very distinct and different totally. dialect and voice helps a child identify with the story and the characters. But for us, as not children watching this when we were 28 years old, it would have been obviously... Immediately when when I saw it, I was like, why doesn't, he should just sound like Jabba. Like, cool if yeah. he can speak yeah. English, but he should have just had like a guttural, like, can I, you know, Jabba mm-hmm. voice. Yeah. And it would have been awesome. But instead he was like, like raving with his like glow, <laughs> glow stick makeup and. Sounded like somebody's Cajun grandma. Strippers and people like on, yeah. people on ecstasy in the club, <laughs> you know, like rubbing, grinding up against each other in the shadows. It was like, it was just weird. But I don't know, maybe that stuff wouldn't have been as weird to me if it just sounded like Jabba. But anyways, that's way too
2: much time spent on a Cajun accent. Let's go. Well, what you're forgetting is in this time period, like on earth, the late 2000s, Truman Capote was huge with tweens. (laughs) So they really- It was trending. 12, 13-year-old kids loved Truman Capote. So George Lucas just had to throw that reference in there. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, This is very cool. I believe, Adam, you added this, the the ship that Anakin takes from the landing platform on Teth, uh, that ship's called the Twilight. And it's an old Carillion g 9 rigged freighter, which uh, Anakin continues to use throughout the whole uh, series. It's kind of like an odd ship where it looks like it has one wing, but then a second wing comes down perpendicular. So I don't really know how that works. but Almost a uh, B-wing style? Yeah, yeah it's, right?
0: like a, it's like a rudder Yeah, for all that draft space that you get <laughs> <Yeah>. from <laughs> yeah. all the air up there. <laughs>
2: So Anakin uh, continues to use this ship uh, throughout the, the the whole series. And uh, feloni has been on record saying that it gives credit to Uncle Owen's claim that Luke's father, Anakin, was uh, a navigator on a spice freighter from A New Hope. So that ship was uh, a freighter. And it's kind of just a little reference that makes a line in A New Hope make a
1: little bit more sense, which is pretty cool. So Uncle Owen was just really bending the truth, not totally <laughs> full of shit.
2: So a little bit of uh good deeds done with this next piece from the Den of Antiquities. Uh, when Ahsoka is addressing the clones in the hangar bay, she's kind of telling the story uh, on how they, uh, succeeded in Christophsis there's a pink droid next to R2D2 and you would just be like oh cool there's a pink droid now it's literally R2D2 but pink but there's a whole backstory to that so that astromech is called R2KT It's included in a way to honor the work of the 501st legion and the droid was created in memory of Katie Johnson daughter of a 501st legion's uh, founding member albin johnson and she had uh, passed away of cancer at the age of 7 so some of the customers built a pink r2 to provide her comfort while she was you know asleep at night just really picture that i have the chills right now it's, it's such God, a dude. amazing thing and uh this astromech kind of was her companion in the last days of her life so this scene was just a a, a reference to that and also it's a reference to uh, a, kind of a mirror of uh, a scene in attack of the clones when r2d2 is like watching over padme when those like worm things come in through the the uh yeah. through the window there so it's a little bit of a, a mirror there,
1: which is pretty cool. A force for good, yeah. And
0: I, I, I bet there were just so many. I mean, granted, we didn't have to deal with reading it all at the at the level that we do now, but I, I bet not knowing that story. That's such a great example of remember how much the people that make these things love what they do and love Star Wars, yeah. And people probably being like, "Oh, we get a pink droid now because we got a girl Padawan," <laughs> right. mm-hmm. yeah. What's next? Is the lead character gonna be a girl? <laughs> well yeah, guess what, asshole? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then to find out that it was done with like the the utmost care and mm-hmm. respect for someone that's not even on the payroll in yeah. their family that just does yep. devotes their life to their love of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful story. And
2: God people suck.
1: Suck one haters. <laughs> Here's another cool
2: thing. Uh, so the animated version of Anakin Skywalker, it, this is, it's very cartoony that for the most part, they don't ever change their clothes. You know, it's like Bart Simpson's always <laughs> yeah. wearing the same thing. Homer's always wearing the same thing. Fry. Yeah, everyone. They, don't eat,
0: they don't eat, they don't poop.
2: <laughs> yeah. So this kind of is the, the that kind of uh, thing happens in the Clone Wars also. So Anakin's always wearing the same thing. This kind of like maroon and Navy little uh, Jedi getup, and the neck and shoulder armor kind of uh resembles and is foreshadowing of uh what he wears during darth vader uh his years as darth vader so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool they didn't really kind of just in this series just put him in dark black and brown kind of like he is towards uh the end of wrench of the Sith. still muted tones maroon and, and navy but uh just the overall style of it you could see it kind of moving towards a vader-esque look so we haven't really uh, brought up Ashley too much in her excellent portrayal uh, as Ahsoka, but uh, she actually originally auditioned for the voice of Padme. And uh, we know that Ashley, although she sounds like a teenager, she's not a teenager. So <laughs> they decided Padme was a little bit uh, an older lady. So Ashley's voice suited Ahsoka's uh, teenage years a little bit better. So it's cool that she auditioned for one thing and actually wound up getting a life-changing Important role that she uh, parlayed into everything that we know of Ahsoka Tano. Now,
1: I thought it was interesting that they called her back because they liked her and asked her to play around with different accents and things. But ultimately, when she was hired, they had her just use her normal voice. It's tweaked a little bit; it's yeah. more dramatic, but it's it's her voice. Dream job.
0: This just made me think of something that I meant to say. I think a couple times on the pod, and I haven't. It's most it's a prequel problem with the accents. You know that like some of it is. Not just borderline, it's just straight up inappropriate, right? It Mm. did not...
1: It's Queen Amidala herself.
0: Yeah, it did not age well. I've only auditioned for one, maybe two voiceover, voice acting things. But I I actually got an audition for a Transformers movie for voiceover. I had to record it all at home. I mean, this is 10 years ago, probably. But it gave very detailed descriptions of what the characters were to sound like, what what the robots were to sound like. And one of them was like Japanese and one of them I can't I can't remember what the other one was, but I was very like, I don't think that's like appropriate for me to sit yeah. here and like do a yeah. Japanese get a Japanese actor. Like, then. That's weird. No. Why are you asking me to do that? Yeah. You know? So I asked. I reached out and I was like, hey, is this okay? Like I don't think this is like cool to do. And they were like, no, it's totally fine. People do it all the time. Like it's it's the voiceover world. Like do we want to hear if you can do the accent and I was like, I guess I'll watch some samurai movies and get back to you. And I had to do it. I had somewhere. There is, there's a very inappropriate recording of me doing a bunch of dialogue in a Japanese accent. I don't have it anymore, but some producer at whatever giant mega studio did those movies has it or Michael Bay has it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it made it that far, but either way I was just thinking of like them asking her to do accents back in 2008 and
1: who knows what they asked her to do. Maybe it was Cajun. (laughs) Maybe.
2: Maybe. What a dream job, though. Like, hey, just use your normal voice. Be like, oh, so I'm, I'm just reading now. I'm, I am mean, ad- <laughs> acting, you know, but like, yeah, I, I've said it before. It's like, hey, if anyone ever needs like a Nick, just call me. <laughs> yeah. Set Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Life. I'll work for half as much money. We're, we're all three available. <laughs> we're all three available. <laughs> yeah. We have hours of our voices recorded at this
1: point. There's another good one about Ahsoka here. Yeah.
2: Moving on, in, in the original concept art, uh, Ahsoka was named Ashla. Pretty similar. They were in the ballpark there, as far as what her name was going to be. Ashla is the name of a youngling of the same species, a togruta, that's uh, seen in Attack of the Clones. I guess they just moved on from that concept and that, the link between those two characters. They kind of just dropped that eventually. Because there
1: was talk of that character being Ahsoka, mm-hmm. but they just did the math, basically, and that wouldn't work. Yeah, Because the, the character was already there, and as they were developing, we were like, well,
2: huh? well, maybe that's Ahsoka.
1: But it didn't work, so they, you know, rolled where, with a different Do you name. remember seeing? I don't even
2: remember seeing another Togruta besides Shakti.
1: When Obi-Wan comes to ask Yoda when he's training the younglings okay. about the missing planet, yeah, she's there. So she would be too young there.
2: Yeah. Uh, these next couple of things are just cool little tiny Easter eggs. I wouldn't have known this. None of us would have known this back in the day. But when you see the Lucasfilm logo, there's this uh, clone radio chatter over the Lucasfilm logo pre Seeing any animation or anything like that. And while I was watching this movie, I was like, Where have I heard this before? And it's actually the beginning of Infinity War, uses this same thing where before you see any live action, you get this like radio chatter. I believe I want to say it's like Asgardian radio chatter. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, that seems really, like, I've only seen this in two places, and now I know the first one was in 2008, the Clone Wars movie, which is pretty cool. I wonder, I know the Russo brothers are definitely Star Wars fans. I don't know if they're Clone Wars fans, but I haven't seen that in any other movies. I don't know, maybe it's like a in other kind of war movies, perhaps. That, that the, only, the only other
0: place I can think of it off the top of my head is that Brad Pitt film Fury,
2: mm-hmm. uh, mm.
0: the tank movie. It it opens with German radio chatter, yeah. not like Nazi radio chatter. Cool. But I would think the link between Marvel and Star Wars is much more clear. Yeah, and, yeah, for sure. Like, they were like, that's a good idea. Let's do that.
2: So either coincidence, but either way, it's the same, same vibe, which I thought was cool. So Ahsoka mentions in this to Anakin, this is where the fun begins, which is the second time we heard this because this is after, in real time, this is after Avenger the Sith, but canonically ahsoka technically says this is where the fun begins before anakin does in revenge of the sith so that's a fun little thing cool i like things like like this next point here asaj uses a jedi mind trick on rex and the only reason why i like that is because it's one of those things where it's like we've really only seen like jedi mostly use jedi mind tricks i don't really remember too many instances where you see a dark side force user just use a jedi mind trick which is weird because it seems like more of a dark side totally. thing to do to somebody mm-hmm. kind of interesting you know using the same jedi mind trick jedi power uh another thing i wouldn't have known back in the day which was something very similar to uh Filoni writing um uh, Mandalorian, is uh, Rada, the the little baby hutlet, kind of does a very similar thing to what Grogu does in his pram in uh, chapter nine, where Grogu knows that uh, Din is about to, like, screw up everybody in that in in that wrestling ring there and Grogu like pushes the button on his pram to save himself Rod of the Hut basically does that same thing in Anakin's backpack so I was like oh Filoni it's a little blanket you're using you're using uh, things you came up with already now and finally 3PO he says thank the maker he shouts out his favorite podcast (laughs) we appreciate it so much
0: (laughs) thank the maker
2: I'm so relieved (laughs) so that's it let's let's get out of this den
1: Favorite scenes, favorite quotes. We polled the patrons. It was a little last minute this time. Sorry, folks. But this is a film where I think these five are probably ours. Five of each. So instead of doing a bunch of honorable mentions, you want to just read through these. We'll each call our own, and then we'll call, the, uh, call out the patrons. Yeah. I back it. So favorite scenes from the top. The introduction of Ahsoka Tano as Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. I see that as a little bit longer scene than maybe just the she's off the ship in the exchange, right? It's a good little extended scene. Mm -hmm. Number two, Ahsoka telling the story of the Battle of Christophsis to the clone troopers. Number three, Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Asajj Ventress, the lightsaber duel. Nominee number four, Anakin Skywalker versus Count Dooku, lightsaber duel on Tatooine. And the fifth and final nominee, Padme's... Hollow Call to Jabba, revealing the Dooku and Zero plot. What do you guys think? What are your favorites?
0: My favorite is, my mine has to be the first one, Ahsoka's intro to Anakin as his Padawan, because as I've, <laughs> on the show, name-dropped and, and whatever, probably embarrassingly so along the way, In in all seriousness, the fact that I've just had the good fortune through sitting on an airplane seat a year ago next to this just super positive force in the world. And Ashley Eckstein and I have become friends in addition to us starting this podcast. And it's all just so surreal to me, you know, that that connection has happened. But it's my time, like, spent getting to be friends with her. And it's just, like, every it's made Ahsoka a a totally different force in Star Wars for me as a character. So I was so much anticipating... I, I hadn't seen the film and, like, didn't have any spoilers. I didn't know exactly how it was going down. So I was just very much anticipating the first time that we saw Ahsoka on screen at this point now, kind of just for, like, those personal reasons. You know what I mean? Like, I have this, like, a friend in my life that is connected to this character in this way, and it's just so, so the character just matters even more than she already is amazing as a character. Like, but it matters even more to me. So it just has to be that scene because it was just, like, I was waiting. Like, here it comes. Here it comes. So that was definitely my favorite.
2: Yeah, I mean and, and sorry, I,
0: w- I would say you were talking about being a very extended scene. I agree because I think it goes pretty much like all the way up to the you wouldn't have made it as Obi Wan's Padawan quote. You know, and he goes through all of that. Yeah, that sort of. And I, yeah, I loved yeah.
2: that part. I love that line. I love that part. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything. It's definitely the, the most telling scene as an extended scene, and I think it's just also like uh, it parallels just. Give Ahsoka a chance. Give the Clone Wars a chance. You know, it's like, it's not what you think at first. So that's that's pretty much yeah, uh, yeah. without repeating things that
1: that Ryan said. I mean,
2: it's kind of like, yeah, of course, that's, that's the best scene to me.
1: I lean towards that one as well. And I honestly, because uh, like I said before, I, I didn't watch this until after I finished all seven seasons, similar to Ryan's experience. I choked up when I saw her show up for the first time and introduce herself because I had all of mm-hmm. that investment already um so that that was my first inclination but i think i'm gonna go with ahsoka telling the story of the battle to the clone troopers because she's building rapport with them she's making them laugh she's bantering anakin she's kind of getting a laugh at his expense and she's becoming part of the crew she's earning Mm -hmm. their respect and it makes me think of in season seven when anakin brings her out and they're all painted uh
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Here good. it comes. Um,
0: yeah, dude, that's like how that was her first step into becoming part of the crew. As you said, like more than any other Jedi, more than anyone else, yeah. she has that relationship with them. And she says it walking away, just trying to keep the boys' spirits up. Yeah. Because he says yep. something about a Jedi doesn't, is humble or whatever he says along the lines of Jedis don't right, brag. Right. And she says, that's not what I was doing. I was trying to keep the boy's spirits up. Like, come
2: on, dude. She almost has to be like yeah. the assistant manager, you know, like the, the good cop <laughs> yeah. to the bad cop, maybe is another yeah. way. Yeah. And
0: th- that alone, in hindsight, that one moment overcomes that. Mm-hmm. Overshadows, yeah. Overshadows, overcomes, like, like uh, defies that rating. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad you said that because I had, I, I didn't, I didn't have that conscious thought watching that scene and now that I just watched it like an hour ago, two <laughs> hours ago. So now it's really fresh replaying in my head. And I'm like,
1: it's good, man. Uh, like it's really good. Heavy dude. So awesome. I do think it's worth noting why we put some of these in here. The Padme hollow call with Jabba. I, I, I think people could maybe kind of dismiss that. And I, I didn't think of it right off the top of my head either, but Nick suggested it. And when I went back and watched, it's really good because number one, it's got Leia vibes, because mm-hmm. it's coming from R2. And she's right?
0: wearing kind of the all-white with tw- the yeah, very yeah.
1: Yeah. And it also mirrors Luke's message to Jabba in Return of the Jedi. You know, R2 rolls in, here are the details, here's how it's going down, kind of thing to, to Jabba. And then the way she talks about Anakin, there's their hidden love there. So there's a lot packed in that little <laughs> momentarily goofy hollow thing because zero jumps in (laughs) with with the accent in the middle but it's still it's really good so i i think it's worth noting Mm -hmm. and and i'm glad we included that as one of the nominees favorite quotes we're going to read the winners from the patreon poll after so our favorite quotes are five nominees number one anakin to ahsoka says you're reckless little one you never would have made it as obi-wan's padawan but you might make it as mine. Number two, Ahsoka back to Anakin. You've got that we're in trouble look. There's a look? You can't miss it. Very funny, Snips. I really like the nicknames, personally. People weren't down with the Sky Guy thing. People were bummed about that. I think it's great brother-sister banter stuff. I I think it's awesome.
0: It was also born from a cartoon and (laughs) and uh, that tracks. It's like a cute, fun, like...
1: Quirky, everything we talked about earlier. Number three, Anakin saying to Yoda and Obi-Wan. Wait a minute.
0: I admit Ahsoka is a little rough around the edges, but with a great
1: deal of training and patience, she might amount to something. Again, foreshadowing. She might amount to something. You think? (laughs) Number four, fourth nominee, more Ahsoka. I love this one. Again, this is some great like team building uh, rapport with the clones. She's talking to Captain Rex here.
0: So if you're a captain and I'm a Jedi, then technically I
1: outrank you, right? In my book, experience outranks everything. And lastly, number five fifth nominee, Obi-Wan Kenobi, says to Anakin,
2: Anakin, teaching is a privilege. And it's part of a Jedi's responsibility to help train the next generation.
1: Ryan Key, what's your favorite?
0: I'm gonna br- I'm breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. <laughs> I was super busy when you guys were texting about these earlier and I didn't chime in. I, re- I read it all after and I was like, I'm not going to, they already settled on it all. I'm not going to throw a wrench in. But my favorite is not on that list. If I have to pick from the list, which I will, so I, I'm going to, play by the rules and also break them. Do an honorable mention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arch my back and keep it straight at the same time. <laughs> I would probably choose your reckless little one. You never would have made it as Obi-Wan's Padawan, but you might make it as mine. I loved that moment between the two of them and just knowing what that means and and immediately recognizing in the writing how they, were, how they wrote Ahsoka to be Anakin's counterpart in every way. But my favorite quote from the film is Anakin down in the dungeons with Ahsoka and R2. And he says to Ahsoka, a very wise Jedi once said nothing happens by accident.
1: It is the will of the Force that you are at my side. just want to keep you there in one piece. That was my favorite quote. That's great. That's a great one. I had that in my list, and for some reason, I didn't put it in our text chat. Well, there you go. I don't know what we would have cut to put that in, but I love that.
2: We all make mistakes, man. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, to me, the only one I really wrote down while I was doing notes was the Ahsoka saying, so if you're a captain, I'm a Jedi, technically I outrank you. Captain Rex slaps back, says in my book, experience outranks everything. And to me, that one really did stick out, but... I think it's really like if you're going to put a just synopsis on who Ahsoka is, it's uh, it's not about titles. You know, Ahsoka isn't a, about being a Jedi, which is why she walks away from the Order, because it's about doing the right thing. And, and to me, this, kind, this line has two meanings. You know, Rex is all about the experience outranking whatever Jedi is, which is true. But I also just think that it takes away titles. You know, it just means like... You got to show your skills, you got to do what's right. And that's ultimately what Ahsoka does by walking away and still continuing what she learned, just being a Jedi and being mindful and doing what's right, but not necessarily holding the the Jedi Knight or Jedi Master title anymore. So this is just kind of like a back and forth about what titles mean. And ultimately, I think it shows a lot of what how Ahsoka's mind really works in the end. You know,
0: it makes me think, that age old question of how much was thought out ahead of time and how much is retconned as we say, right? Yeah. How much did Dave Filoni use this film and the writing in it to build the characters after the fact, you know, or how involved was he in shaping them and saying, no, she should be this way because my, my big plan for her is this, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about several scenes in this film, that one included, She's actually very concerned about being called a Jedi. Yeah. She's yeah, yeah. she's very determined to say, Oh yeah, well, do, do servant girls carry these? And whips out her lightsaber. Yeah, not being called a youngling. Yeah. You know, so the evolution of realizing how unimportant those titles are to the point of leaving the order completely is epic. And I think you can you can in a very cool way. We'll never know how, what was planned and what was used in hindsight, but go back to this line with Rex and that line, do servant girls carry these? You know, I'm a Jedi Knight. And then she kind of says under her breath or soon to be or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she's walking away. She was super concerned about that when she got off the, off the boat, you know, when she got off the shuttle and stepped into her first battle, it was like, yeah, I'm a Jedi. And and that plays into the hubris and all the stuff, we, you know, that carries on into the sequel trilogy and stuff and the downfall of the Jedi. Like, there was this ideal of, like, I'm a Jedi. I'm the, I'm the most badass being in the galaxy, you know? And I think Ahsoka carried that into these scenes in this first film a lot. Like, her cocky kind of attitude wasn't just snippy teenager stuff. It was like, well, I'm a Jedi. And this is what they've
1: told me we do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I was before you started talking I was about to make that exact point and ultimately ask or or say that you could assume based on everything we know about her arc now that she carried that line from Rex with her her entire journey mm-hmm. and that informed everything totally about the way she evolved as a person.
2: And that's why Star Wars is good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh my favorite Oh man. I'm going to, I really love the Rex stuff, man. But, um, and I love Obi-Wan's quote to Anakin because Obi-Wan's my favorite Star Wars character of all time, but I'm going to go with Anakin saying to Ahsoka, you're reckless. You, you never would have made it as my, as Obi-Wan's Padawan and so on. Cause they're just, they're connecting, you know, he's acknowledging seeing himself in her and it's really kicking off their relationship together. That acknowledgement. And it, it carries a lot of weight to me. So that's my favorite. Let's hear what the patrons thought, though. <laughs> Handing out medals. The patrons told us the following for favorite scenes. The winner with 53% of the vote, the introduction of Ahsoka Tano as Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Second place with 21% of the vote, Ahsoka telling the story of the Battle of Christophsis to the Troopers. Solid. We're on the same team. Ahsoka wins. Ahsoka wins all the way. No votes for Padme, the hollow call with Jabba. But now that you know why we loved it, folks, just think about that. (laughs) It was good. (laughs) All right. Favorite quotes. The winner with 39% of the vote. The one that I picked, Anakin to Ahsoka, your reckless little one. You never would have made it as Obi-Wan's Padawan, but you might make it as mine. And second place with 17% of the vote, Ahsoka. Whose pick was this? Who else picked this? It was a Nick pick. Yeah. Nick's pick, Ahsoka to Captain Rex. So if you're a captain and I'm a Jedi, then I technically outrank you, right? In my book, experience outranks everything. Rapport, banter, bros and sis. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, final thoughts. I think uh, I think we've said all that we feel, yeah. but I'll say this it's a good episodic installment in the Clone Wars series. Even though it's a feature film, I think it's a great installment and I think with the expectations being much different for us, I think we experienced it different than people maybe people did in the theater. I think it's great. I think it is not deserving of any of its scores on any of the websites that score things. <laughs> I think we we did a good job of actually
0: kind of breaking down and having a discussion tonight about it really probably probably just should have been four episodes uh, an arc. It should have been an arc in the series. You break that up and it's not you're not watching an animated Star Wars thing for the first time ever that's almost 2 hours long and it's a totally different vibe. You know, I mean I, I enjoy that the arcs in the Clone Wars where you start with one 20 minute thing and then imagine that that Dooku Palpatine Sidious thing being at the end a few episodes later. That would it would just feel totally different than having to watch it all the way through as a film. And I, I think that was a cool breakdown or a cool take on
2: it that we kind of had on the show. Agreed. Nikki, anything to add? No, I'm just right. Re- I'm I'm excited and ready to get into a. Uh... Another rewatch just personally. <laughs> He's like, Is it next Monday yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, got some work to do, but I'm just excited to rewatch the Clone Wars. It's one of those things where now that we've had season two of The Mandalorian, I wonder if anything will resonate differently or just watching the Clone Wars again. I mean, this'll probably be my it'll definitely be my most focused rewatch. I've always anytime I've watched rewatched clone wars or rebels after my initial watch it's always been like kind of in the background or something i put on falling asleep so this one will be like thank the maker focus and uh maybe i'll maybe i'll see some things i didn't see or notice uh things that were just kind of i have a different uh take on them now that uh we have feloni kind of running the ship with the mandalorian i'm stoked too fully
1: all right billy key Take us out with a quote of the week. All right. Uh, So I found this
0: uh, on Polygon.com. Give credit to the writer. Writer Matt Patches. It's a pretty new article. Actually, it came out in April of 2020. So it's less than a year old. And he references a 2018 Q&A that was conducted only for the production staff of Clone Wars. And apparently uh, the Star Wars show released this Q&A for everybody to read what went down. And um, there's really cool... Quote from Lucas in the Q&A. And it goes like this. Quote, There's nothing forgiving. We weren't making it for television. We were making it for the big screen. I said, Think of this as a feature. Everything about it. Style, attention to detail, the lighting. Everything is done at a feature level, even though it's going on television. Being young and impressionable, Filoni said, Well, you can't do that. Now, I don't know if Matt Patches added this at the end or if Lucas actually said the words. I hope he did. I'd have to go back and watch it. But he says, Lucas's wisdom, do or do not. So they did it.
1: They did the <laughs> damn thing. We didn't talk much about the quality of the animation here, but it's not, of course, up to the level that season seven was. It They really leveled it up over the years. It was really good for the time, but man, season seven really fulfills exactly what he's talking about here. Mm-hmm. They, it, it became fully cinematic in a way that I've never really seen in... In animated films. I mean, a lot of the Pixar stuff is very cinematic, but there's something else about this. There's something special about what Clone Wars became and matured to that stands out.
0: I think, uh, what, what's the budget for a Pixar film in 2008? It's not eight and a half million dollars, right? Seems low. I, we, I would assume it's way more. Yeah. So, if you're thinking of what Star Wars budgets are, you know, even in 2008, they did this film... Yeah, Drew just said so there back then. There's Pixar film getting made for 180 million dollars. Holy so, shit! Think about what they had resource. Wally, Wally, which is a that's a space film. I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Uh, what a film! I could uh, a tear could roll from my eye right now just thinking about that movie. But look at what they did with this with the Clone Wars. The first thing you saw for eight million dollars. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, uh, Drew just said "Up" was 175 million. <laughs> so there we go. We set the bar at 150 to 200 million dollars versus eight million dollars. But to your point, Adam, they started here. I think it was pre- as you said, it was pretty cool for the time. And by season seven of the show, I personally feel like we're on par with Wally and Up and everything else. We are like. I I don't know, man, the game engines and all the stuff they were using by the end to make it just, it just was, it's insane. The animation's insane at the
2: end of the show. Started from the bottom, now we hear It's still stylized in a sense where like, I feel like Pixar starts to really be like, that looks like real hair. That looks like real skin, whatever. Right. Clone Wars is still stylized where you're looking at like perfectly portioned, like Obi-Wan beard segments, you know? But But. the
0: lighting, the stuff that I think to Adam's point that that Lucas was talking about in that Q&A the production value and the lighting and th- those things when when they had more money more time to mm-hmm. work on and, and technology more technology the again the game engines and things like that 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 have the ray tracing and the particle lighting and all the stuff that that happens to make the lighting look more real it's really all about lighting we talk about how shitty our lighting can has been in podcasting you know how hard it is to get it right like did fake lighting like what is that even i don't even know how to get my head around that (laughs) um and it's it's incredible by the end of the show so
1: i agree with you that was a long-winded way to say i very (laughs) much agree with you we're on the same page all right a couple things before we fully wrap this up patreon is different We have made a change. We're now monthly. If you are currently a patron, if you've been a patron and you were when we were doing the per creation style, you need to choose the new Jedi tier, the $15 monthly tier. If you want access to things like these polls, the after show content, the live streams that we're going to do, the discord access, which is a big deal. We're now, we have a discord channel. You need to get switched over to one of the new tiers. So do that. Those other tiers, those former tiers are going to go away at the end of this month. So you've got 10 days or so to switch over to a new tier. There's only one. I mean, there's, there's the thanks for your support. You get no benefits. Just thank you tier. <laughs> the bro deal tier. Which is great. <laughs> if anybody just wants to throw us three bucks for providing something that they like and support us, thank you so much. We appreciate it. But if you want the benefits, you got to switch over to that tier. Please do that before the end of the month. But we also have other cool stuff coming up, non-Patreon related. Billy, can you tell us about it? If you missed uh, the little video I posted two days ago,
0: we officially have our think the Maker merch store open. It's very easy for you. thinkthemakermerch.com Thanks, Drew. I'll hook that up. And if, if you miss it just and you're not taking the time right now, if you're not even motivated yet with me telling you we have merch, which is the coolest thing uh, and you're not going to go look at Instagram. Just just hear me out. There's a there's like a classic kind of logo T-shirt. We did a collab with our friends at uh, at Hondo Supply, which is very cool. Kind of a podcast themed tee. But really, what you're in it for is the <laughs> Top Gun. There's the Top Gun T-shirt because we all know. Think the Maker is secretly a Top Gun podcast. <laughs> like even right there, I managed to put Top Gun into this week's episode, which we hadn't done yet, and I still found a way.
1: We're almost, like, Sidious level with, like, the, 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 yeah, yeah, what yeah, we're yeah. doing behind the scenes. <laughs> we're really, we're pushing Top Gun. We're
0: definitely, we're playing the Star Wars and Top Gun angles against each other, for sure. But then I would just like to say how, how honored I am that the greatest Sith Lord of all time made it onto a T-shirt. Because I know everyone, when I scream that into the microphone, probably rolls their eyes like, dude, come <laughs> on, bro. But now you can get it on a shirt and wear it to Galaxy's Edge when they open and, uh... I'm sure all the cast members will mess with you because it says Sith on it. It'd be great, go grab it. Thankthemakermerch.com dot Lit. If you're looking for me on the social medias, you can find me everywhere at William Ryan Key.
2: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, talking all things Star Wars at Nick Bayside. You know, we do a little retweeting of uh, our personal accounts and stuff from all the, the Thank The Maker uh, accounts, but uh, a lot of it starts with our own accounts too. So find me at Nick Bayside, Instagram, Twitter always talking star wars
1: all of my stuff is at adam the skull the podcast is of course at thank the maker pod on instagram at thank the maker on twitter patreon.com slash thank the maker pod is where you can get at us on the patreon level again we really appreciate it whether you're just supporting the podcast which is a cool thing to do every dollar counts really it helps
0: kids are doing it
1: (laughs) if supporting a podcast is cool call me miles davis (laughs) Or if you want to get involved in the extra stuff, get the benefits, get on Discord and all that, $15 a month. I would, I'd pay that. I'd pay that for my own podcast. you get four podcasts a month just in addition to that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we're we're still, you know, we're working out how we're going to do all this stuff, but you want to watch Star Wars with us? With us commenting? We're doing that soon. Potentially playing video games together. Let's do that. Whatever. We're going to- I
1: want to watch Star Wars with you. Yeah. We've never done
2: Yeah, mystery science theater style.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody, (laughs) for listening. Patrons, catch us on the After Show on Patreon and everyone else. Until next time, may the Force be with you.